You're listening to Pastor Rory Rogers as he teaches through the book of Acts. If you have your Bibles ready, let's join him now. Chapter 28, verse 16. Let's pray. Lord, we know there are so many people in this room from different walks of life, different Christian levels of maturity. Lord, there's some here that perhaps today is the first time they've ever cracked open a Bible and spent time reading it. Uh, others are, are ready to be teachers themselves. And uh, Lord, we just pray that you would just come and minister to just every heart in this room. Bring the encouragement and the spurring on that's needed here. Bring the conviction of your spirit and just the, the godly sorrow into our lives that would produce a repentance, a changed heart, a changed life. Lord, we just cry out for the spirit of the living God to fall in this place, to purge out sin, to move on our hearts, and to just equip this whole church uh, to go out into the world and be ministers of the good news of Jesus Christ. Do a work in, in this room that could only be attributed to the Holy Spirit. It could never be credit given to the pastor or the worship team or the servants here. But something that everyone would say, truly the living God is in this place. For your glory, for your fame, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Since chapter uh, 21, Paul has been on his way to, uh, oh, hold on one second. Oh, Bibles. Thank you. Anyone here need a Bible? We also like to read our Bibles here. You can lift up your hand. There's no shame. We got a, a bunch of new pew Bibles, so lift up your hand, and uh, Kevin will hand you one. So uh, since chapter 21, Paul has been on his way to Rome in one form or another. Uh, he had such a heart for Rome because it, it was said back in the day, all roads lead to Rome. And so if you could just get that, the powerful word of Jesus Christ to Rome, to the leadership of Rome, then it would then spread, spread throughout the then known world. Uh, went with a buddy to watch uh, Cowboys and Aliens the other night. And oh yes, it's better than it, the title even sounds, okay? And like most alien movies, you know, you got to get the, the powerful weapon to fight the aliens. You got to get it into the, the, the heart, the core of the alien spaceship, right? And then blow up the spaceship, right? Paul's thinking the same thing. You know, he said, man, the enemy has such a stronghold in Rome where everything trickles out of, let's get the gospel, let's get the, the dynamic, powerful dynamite of the good news of Jesus Christ into Rome. And then, man, from there, it'll just explode out into the world. Romans chapter 1, Paul says, man, I've been praying that if by any means the Lord could open up a door to get me into, into Rome. So I can minister to you guys. So I can impart some spiritual gift. And he prayed and the Lord answered his prayers. Only the, the, the way wasn't, you know, a really swift stallion or a chariot or a boat, you know, with his name printed on the side, the St. Paulos or something like that. It was actually a means by way of chains. He was a prisoner of Rome on his way to speak before Caesar himself. And so for the last couple of weeks, we've been watching that journey of him taking a ship, an Alexandrian grain ship, um, across the Mediterranean Sea, hitting a, a hurricane called Euroclidon, getting shipwrecked after a two-week uh, two storm up and down in a boat, you know, getting shipwrecked, spending time on an island, wintering on that island, 
finally making it to the Appian Way in Italy and walking about 200 miles on foot, finally to Rome. And last week we watched him get there. It was a very exciting thing. And so here in our last study in the book of Acts, Paul finally makes it to Rome, sweet home. Uh, I got here this morning and went back to the sound booth, and uh, first thing they say to me is, hey, there's a 10 to 1 bet today that you won't finish the book of Acts. And uh, it's like, you guys have no confidence in me. And uh, so I took that bet, and we'll be settling up after this service. (laughs) But in verse 16, Paul has made it to Rome. That is a huge thing. I mean, my heart starts to beat with excitement for what God might have for him there. When we came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners, Paul and a bunch of others, to the captain of the guard. But Paul was permitted to dwell by himself with the soldiers who guarded him. Talked about how Paul last week uh, was probably chained to a Roman soldier that watched everything he did, examined his life, knew Paul's manner of character, his interaction with others, his love for others, and others' love for him, his patient endurance, his heart to, with every word, declare the the, the good news of the Lord Jesus. Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 14 says, I want you guys to know that that the trials that I've gone through have actually turned out for an occasion to testify. And actually the whole palace guard that's guarding me have heard about Jesus and they know my chains are in Christ. And as other brothers hear of me witnessing to these soldiers, uh, they themselves are excited to share Christ and they're more bold in their witness as well. So what an exciting thing to know that there were soldiers chained to Paul or perhaps, you know, uh, you know, Paul was chained to them, but really they were chained to Paul and they got to hear the good news. And one day I think we're going to be seeing some Roman soldiers in heaven and we're going to get to talk to them about what those times in house arrest were like. But in verse 17, it says it came to pass after three days that Paul called the leaders of the Jews together. So when they'd come together, he said to them, Men and brethren, though I've done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans, who when they had examined me, wanting to let me go, because there was no cause for putting me to death. But when the Jews spoke against it, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, not that I had anything of which to accuse my nation. And so we're going to look at four different, excuse me, five different key points to Paul's message to these Jewish leaders here in Rome. His approach was soft. It was a soft approach. It was approach of initiative. It was a thoughtful approach. And it was a right approach. So first of all, softness. As Paul comes to these Jews, leaders of the Jewish synagogues, his feet was shod with the gospel of peace. He had the slippers of the gospel on, slippers that were identifications rather than the combat boots of confrontation. Now, what's interesting is that he calls them, these Jewish leaders of Jewish synagogues, over some 40,000 Jews in Rome, he calls them my brethren or my brothers. He had great tact. He had great sensitivity in opening up with them as my brothers. And this paves the way for future opportunity to share more into their lives. 
as he talks in verse 18 and 19 about the process getting him to Rome that, you know, I, I was a prisoner of the Jews and I was handed over to the Romans. And when they examined me, they noticed that I was innocent and the Jews spoke against it. And I was compelled to apply to Caesar. The way that he shares that account really covers over a multitude of sins in his explanation of what happened. I mean, we all know what really happened, right? Acts chapter 21 through chapters 27, constant attack by the Jews. He actually got jumped while he was worshiping in the temple and they hated him so much that they began to pull on him. And the, the Romans were afraid that Paul was going to be ripped to pieces by the crowd. And so the Romans had to grab him and put them on his, put him on their shoulders and run him up the stairs of the Antonia fortress. They were afraid he was going to be torn to smithereens. And it was then up on the stairs that Paul said, hey, put me down. I want to preach the gospel to these people. And so he stood on the stairs of the Antonia fortress and he began to preach. But when he mentioned that the gospel was going to go forth to the Gentiles, they erupted again and tried to kill him again. Multiple times they tried to set ambushes against him that he would die. And so finally he appealed to Caesar that perhaps a logical, you know, guy with some red tape around him would have to, you know, be kind and let him go. But Paul didn't mention any of that. Paul covered over that multitude of sins, of aggression against him, of hatred against him. He doesn't talk about that brutal instance of almost being ripped limb from limb. And what's neat is that you see that he recognizes that he doesn't have to say everything all the time. It's a good little note for us in our sensitivity to being led by the Holy Spirit. You know, Paul could have just volunteered everything he knew about everything. The moment the door of opportunity cracked open that he could share his faith with someone, he just dumps all of his life experiences upon them and tells about how harshly he's been persecuted. And it'd be like pulling a big old dump truck up to the door of your house and just dumping a load of dirt right in front. There's no way to get in or out. But he uses some sensitivity. He uses some tact here in his, in his communication, a soft communication with the Jews. You know, he could have opened up the doors about how cruel the Jews were to him and how much they hated him, but that would have put things in their mind that they hadn't even known about. We're going to see in a couple of verses. This soft approach of Paul opens up the doors to preach the gospel more. And the result is seen in verse 22 as we jump ahead just for a second, where they basically say, hey, we want to hear what your views are. We want to hear what your views are. And so Paul was soft in his approach. A good lesson for us. You know, there are times where we come and we bring a message of hell, fire, and brimstone, and damnation, and we bring the hammer. And then there's other times where we need to be sensitive to the situation, to the circumstance. And only the Lord can tell us when that is. Go prayerfully, daily, into the opportunities that God's given for you. This last Friday, I had the privilege and the honor of uh, basically doing the memorial service for a 21-year-old family friend who'd been killed in a motorcycle accident. A couple weeks ago, he'd been uh, uh, in an accident, did a wheelie, uh, hurt his head, went into the hospital, had to have the top of his skull removed to relieve pressure. While he's in a coma, another biker friend from their gang comes and visits him and 
uh, as he's leaving, he gets hit by a car and killed. And then another person in the biker gang, while they're partying, jumps in front of a semi-truck and kills himself. So in this biker gang, there were three deaths in one week. And I get called to come and testify at, and, and minister at this funeral uh, of a kid that, by all external observation, uh, is in hell right now. And so I go on Friday and there's about 90 people in a yard, and I just prayed so hard for a whole week since I knew I was doing this. Lord, give me the words to say. Give me the tact. Give me the sensitivity. Give me the compassion. But Lord, in no way, let me water down the truth of the gospel. In no way, let me compromise the integrity of who you are as a righteous judge. And so Friday morning, you know, I just on my face in my office. Lord, I don't know what to say. What do you say? I also was doing the music for it. What do you sing? I I didn't know. And just through prayer, the Holy Spirit just brought the message. And as we go into these situations of testifying of the good news of Jesus Christ, as we go prayerfully, as you open up your mouth, listen to what the Holy Spirit wants you to say. Listen to what he wants you to say. Lay aside your agenda. Lay aside your pride. And just say, Lord, bring it. If a hammer needs to be brought, impress strongly upon my heart to bring the hammer. Lord, if the tissue needs to be brought, impress upon my heart. It's tissue time. Paul, we see here, was soft. Brethren, here's what's been going on. But you know what? You don't need to know all the garbage. I want to tell you about Jesus. Secondly, we see that Paul took initiative. Love always takes the initiative. It reaches out. Who had the opening move here in chapter 28? Reaching out to Jewish leaders of synagogues. It was Paul, wasn't it? Paul took that opening move and out of some 40,000 Jews in the city of Rome, he sent out a recon crew out there into Rome, you know, probably Luke or Aristarchus, who knows? They went out, they found the leaders and they brought the leaders to Paul. Paul reached out to them. You know what? The love of Christ had compelled him to reach out. Paul would go in every city to the synagogues. That was the first thing that he would do. But now he's chained and under house arrest. And so he goes and he brings them to him that he could tell them about Jesus. Love always reaches out. I'm praying right now. I have a neighbor that I just haven't met yet, you know, and I've heard horror stories, you know, of like, you know, we're first time home buyers, you know, so we're like, you know, we built a deck. We're like, I hope they like it, you know, and like, but we haven't met them yet. You know, it's like, Lord, how do I go and, and meet this guy? Love takes the initiative. Reach out, meet your neighbor, make that phone call. You know, Jesus says that if you come to the altar and you remember that your brother has something against you, then leave your gift at the altar and turn and go and be reconciled to that brother. Then come back and worship the Lord and offer that sacrifice to the Lord. Take the initiative. Love always does. Paul was in Rome to preach the gospel, which was, according to Romans 1.16, for the Jew first and then also for the Greek. Paul says, this is what I'm in Rome for. I'm to preach to the Jews. In verse 20, he says, for this reason I have called for you, to see you and to speak with you. Man, we live in a, in a day and age of text messaging, don't we? Man, can anything good come out of a text message? If you put a smiley face at the end. You can say anything you want, totally demean somebody, throw the smiley face in at the end, it's all good, right? You know, emails, you got to be so careful how you communicate in emails. The elders and I are learning that as we send emails to people. 
how could you guys be so mean to me in that email? What? We were weeping as we wrote this to you. We, man, face to face, voice to voice. I wanted to see you. I wanted to speak with you. Because of the hope of Israel, I'm bound with this chain. I don't know about you guys, but when I was preparing for this study and I read through that for the first time, that phrase, the hope of Israel, melted my heart. Israel's hope. Man, as you go to Israel, I've been there twice. You see the faces of the Jews who've come back to their homeland. And you know that their hope is Jesus Christ. One day they're going to see him. One day, hopefully, they have bowed the knee to him as Messiah. You have such a heart for them. And when you know that the remedy to it all is found in Jesus Christ, he's their hope, then it melts your heart when you hear about it. Paul rings their bell by mentioning the hope of Israel. The hope of Israel, did you say? Yes, let me talk to you about him. The reason I want to speak to you is for the hope of Israel, who is Jesus. John Calvin said that the covenant of adoption was based on Jesus. The promise of salvation confirmed on Jesus. The fulfillment of the kingdom dependent on Jesus. And the ruined, hopeless condition of the people increased their desire on Jesus. You guys remember in Luke chapter 24, the two on the road to Emmaus, right? Jesus had just been crucified, and little did they know, he's also been risen. And as Jesus appears and starts walking to them with them in his risen state, he begins to talk with them. And they begin to say, you know, we had hoped that Jesus would be the one to redeem Israel. But three days ago, there he was hanging on the tree, pierced. And the law says, cursed is everyone who hangs on the tree. So surely he can't be the hope of Israel. Little did they know, they were standing with that risen hope. That Jesus isn't still on the cross as many of the crucifixes of our day still portray him as. But he's risen from the dead and he stands in victory at the right hand of the Father. And he ever lives to make intercession for you and me. He's the hope of Israel. Psalm chapter 130 verse 7 says, Oh Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there's mercy and with him is abundant redemption. Hope in the Lord. Are you in need of mercy today? You've got one person to hope in, one person to place your trust in. Jeremiah chapter 14, verse 7 says, O Lord, though our iniquities testify against us, do it for your namesake. For our backslidings are many. We've sinned against you. O the hope of Israel, the time in trouble, the Savior in time of trouble. How many of you here are in the same place of what Jeremiah talks about Your sin testifies against you. You know what you've done. You know what you've done. And you are guilty and you know it. And you lay in bed with your eyes awake wondering what is going to come of all this sin that is upon your shoulders. Like David, you lie in bed and your couch swims. Your couch is drenched in tears like David says. Where do you turn to? The hope of Israel. The hope of Israel is the hope for America. The Messiah, in him, all the nations of the world will be blessed. One of the prophecies a couple thousand years before Jesus said, But you, Bethlehem, though you are little among nations, out of you shall come a ruler, and he shall shepherd my people Israel. That was great hope for Israel. That was great hope for Judah. 
someone is going to rise up and rule us once again. We've been in captivity for so long. What are we going to do? Guys, there's hope. The Messiah, the Mashiach, the Christ, the anointed one, the hope of Israel. He's coming. It's so exciting to read this book, Ben-Hur, that I keep going on and on about. You got, it's a must read, okay? Ben-Hur. And it's so cool because I don't want to ruin anything, but as you're going through, you know, first it's about Judah Ben-Hur, and he's this awesome guy that can row boats really fast, okay, if you know anything, you know, but he races chariots and all that. But really it's called Ben-Hur, A Tale of the Christ. And throughout this thick book, you just, you see he interacts with Jesus, just like a common man, like there's that guy again, you know, and it just melts your heart. And when he begins to hear about 27 years ago, these wise men came in and they said, where is the Christ who's to be born king of the Jews? And tell me more about this. This happened 27 years ago. How have I never heard about this? Oh my goodness. And they're sitting around in this tent like he's here. He's here. The Messiah is here. So exciting. When you talk of the hope of Israel, ears perk up. Even in America, Isaiah tells us chapter nine, That unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. It's a prophecy of Jesus. And the government will be upon his shoulders. He'll have a name. Wonderful. Counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over David's kingdom to order it and to establish it with justice and judgment from that time on, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. How many of you want to say that for America? One day, just the perfect president will be born. He'll have names, wonderful, counselor, mighty God. Doesn't fit the description, you know, of the Nixon administration or the Reagans, you know, or the Bushes or the Obamas, you know? But it does fit the description of Yeshua Mashiach, Jesus, the Messiah. Luke chapter 4, verse 16. Jesus goes into a Nazarene synagogue. It's the Sabbath. Everyone's hanging out. And he goes up to the pulpit of its day. And he takes out a scroll. And he begins to read from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 63. And Luke gives us this account. He begins to read and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those that are oppressed. It says, then he closed the book, gave it to the attendant, went and sat down, and all the eyes in the synagogue were on him. So everyone's not looking up at the pulpit anymore. They're looking over there to where he just sat down. And he says this, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Whoosh, goosebumps on the back of your neck. You had just witnessed Bible prophecy coming to pass. Have you ever been in a part of that in your life, witnessing Bible prophecy come to pass? If you were born before May 14th, 1948, you have. When you watch the nation of Israel become a nation again and the people of of the tribe of Israel, the tribes of Israel going back to their homeland, whoosh, get the goosebumps, people. God's promises are yes and amen. They're going to happen. That day, Jesus says, hey, are you poor? I've got good news. Do you have a broken heart? How about you today in Prineville? Have you been dumped? Have you lost an animal? 
Has your friend hurt you? Is your heart cracked? Hey, I want to heal your broken heart. Are you held captive by some substance or addiction or habit? Jesus came to proclaim liberty to you. Are you blind today? He's come to bring recovery of sight to your eyes. Are you oppressed? Freedom is in Christ. In Matthew chapter 11, John the Baptist, Jesus's cousin, has been put in prison by Herod. And as he's in prison, he got to think, and I remember back that day at the river when I baptized Jesus and I told everybody, behold, the Lamb of God, you know, who, who, who will forgive the sins of the whole earth. Come down here, baptize Jesus. Years later, he's like, is he really him? Is he really the Christ? Hey, come here. He gets his buddies and he goes, go, go to Jesus and ask him, are you really him? So they did. They went to Jesus. They said, John wants to know, are you really him? Are you the Christ? Or should we wait for another? And Jesus said this, you go back and you tell John this, the blind see and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who's not offended at me. In other words, you bet your bottom dollar. Rory's going to finish the book of Acts and I'm the Christ. (laughs) Zechariah chapters 12 and 14 tell us about that day when all Israel will one day see their hope. It's an exciting day. And in Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10, we know it to be at the end of the tribulation period. Jesus is coming back at his second coming, and he's going to come and he's going to destroy the Antichrist and his army and all who would raise up their feet and their hands against Jerusalem, against Israel. But it says that I will pour out upon David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication, and they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. You see, on that day, the Jews are going to realize that Jesus of Nazareth, who some 2,000 years ago they killed, was the Messiah, the Christ. And when he comes back in all of his glory and heaven and earth are going to fade away and the sword of his mouth is just going to wipe out all of his enemies, the Jews are going to say, whoa. But Jesus is going to have an appearance of a lamb that has been slain. And they're going to say, where did you get hurt? And Jesus is going to say, I received these wounds in the house of my friends. And they will weep, just like you would weep losing your firstborn son, because we killed the Christ. There will be mourning and there will be sorrow. But one day, all Israel will see the hope of Israel. And Romans 11 tells us, and all Israel will be saved. Paul says, it's concerning the hope of Israel that I'm bound with these fetters. Verse 21, when they said to him, we neither receive from Judea concerning you, uh, nor have any of the brethren who came reported or spoken any evil of you. This is a miracle. The Jews were constantly in contact with Rome from Judea. They should have known what's going on with this Paul guy. It's just another Jesus. But a miracle of miracles is they had never heard about Paul. They'd heard about Christianity, the sect of the Nazarenes, but they never heard about Paul. And imagine if Paul would have just gone into all of the offenses that the Jews had against him. It would have ruined that witness. When they say in verse 22, but we do desire to hear from you what you think. For concerning this sect, we know that it's spoken against everywhere. 
So when they had appointed him a day, many came to him as lodgings, to whom he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets from morning until evening. They come back. It's an appointed day. Much like some of you have had an appointed day to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some of you for the first time today. Some of you for the last time today. Today is the appointed day, the day of salvation. And they come in. They get to hear this message from Paul that number third thing we're going to see today, it's very thoughtful and it's very sincere. Paul has thought out the gospel. He's thought about the good news. And guess what? He's going to get the Jews to think because he has his grasp on the information. Are you frustrated with being able to witness to your friends and it seems like it always just falls short? I just encourage you, think out the gospel for yourself. The reason we can't get our friends to think is because we ourselves haven't thought. We haven't thought about the good news. And Peter tells us, 1 Peter 3.15, that we're to always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that's within you. Have you thought out the gospel? Do you have a reason that people should come to Jesus? If I were to ask you today, right now, show me one reason why I should come to Christ. Could you give me one? Could you give me 10? The Mormon comes and knocks on your door. And I've heard Damien Kyle, one of my favorite preachers, you know, he says, when the Mormons come to my door, the Jehovah's Witness, I say, here's what I've got. Eternal salvation that's freely paid for by the blood of Jesus. Hope of heaven, forgiveness of sins. Why would I want what you want? Come on, reason with me. Well, what if the Mormon turned that on you? Well, why would I want what you've got? Give me a reason. Would you be able to give him a reason beyond, well, um, I'm a good person. Well, I'm a pretty good person too. Dang it. (laughs) One for the Mormon, one for the Christian. Well, I was raised in a Christian home. Well, I was raised in a Mormon home. Dang it. (laughs) You know, check, check, you know. Ah, Shoot, you know, I don't know. Well, see ya. Or do you have a reason, a reason for the hope that's within you? Have you thought it through? So blessed last week, coming home with Devin to get to share the gospel with that guy, Earl. I told you about him last week, a hitchhiker we picked up. You know, after a little ride, the Lord just opened up the door to just preach Jesus and to reason with him. And you know, it says here that Paul spoke from morning until evening persuading and sincerely testifying from both the law and the prophets morning until night. And you know, I I had an hour and a half with this guy in the car and I'm just like, dude, Jesus, man, risen from the dead. Whoa, dude, Jesus, it's a proven fact. He's risen from the dead. Whoa, keep your eyes on the road. Hey man, the prophets, they foretold where he'd be born and who he'd come from, you know, just sharing with them. He's like, yeah, just get me to Redmond. I'm on my way to Madras, but just get me to Redmond. Hey, you know, how about I drive you to North Redmond? I'll drive you up to the Home Depot exit, you know, and, and, uh, so anyways, Jesus, you know, blah, 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 you know, hey, I got to turn around anyways, just stay in the car. I'll keep talking. You know, we pull around the Home Depot parking lot, turn around, drop him. I'm like, but dude, Jesus. And he goes, man, I I just got to tell you, I just appreciate that you didn't just preach what you believed to me, but you gave me reasons to believe what you believe. He says, that's never happened before. How about you guys? Can you reason with people? Are you thoughtful and are you sincere? You know, our friends and our neighbors are looking for substantiation and a reason to believe as we do. 
Paul just opens up the scriptures, the law and the prophets, and he just pulls out Jesus and he serves Jesus to the Jews. Can you do that? Can you do that? From morning until evening, Paul reasoned and persuaded. This was not a sermonette for Christianettes, nor was it the first time that he'd preached this long. You guys remember, Paul taught all night into the late night morning hours, and Eutychus, who was up on the third floor of the building that he was in, fell asleep, fell out the window, died. Paul went out, laid on top of him, prayed for him. His breath came back to him, and Paul got back to preaching, you know? Had something similar to that happen to me a couple years ago on a, on a New Year's Day morning. I got to teach at Calvary Corvallis, and we're in this big old gym, right? And there's, you know, I don't know, 700 people in this gym. And uh, I'm like, turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 40. And I just remember seeing out of the corner of my eye this, like, flood of people running. And I'm like, what? I didn't even look up yet. I'm like, what did I say, you know? And they get up and they begin running and you hear the rumble like a herd of wild elephants running across the gym floor. And, you know, I just kind of didn't know what to do. And turns out one of the sweet little ladies, old ladies in the church had gotten up to go to the restroom and had fainted and fell on her face in the aisleway. And uh, so, you know, we had to like help her and call the ambulance and the ambulance had to come in and everyone had to get out of the way. And we were just all kind of like, well, see you next week, you know, I got kind of a freebie, you know, a Sunday, you know, and uh, you guys are hoping something like that will happen today, aren't you? But uh, it might, it might. <clears throat> but, you know, Paul, man, he's like, no freebies today, morning until night, I'm going to reason with you guys. Let's have us a Bible study. And he did, man. He had enough sensible information to have a dialogue all day long that Jesus was the Christ, the long-awaited Messiah, and his message was from the Old Testament. On that road to Emmaus in Luke chapter 24, when Jesus was resurrected, talking with those two guys, you'll remember that it says that he began with Moses and through all the prophets, he expounded in them all the things that pertain to himself. That was probably another really good Bible study. Jesus showing the prophets and how he is the fulfillment of both the law and the prophets. Paul uses history and verifiable facts to prove that Jesus is truth. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11 says, now that we know that there's going to be a judgment and every person's going to stand before the Lord one day, we persuade men. You guys, take the time to be on mission and to be persuading men because they are going to stand before the Lord. And that you might be able to say like Paul in, in Acts 20, I'm innocent of the blood of all men. I've told them what they needed to hear. We know that as Paul preached here, It must have been a personal, passionate plea, urging his listeners toward faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. You know, I don't think Paul cared about what they thought about him or what they thought about his sermon. If it was too long, too short, had enough jokes or, excuse me, funny punchlines or quotes or whatever in it. You know, I don't care either. I don't care what you think about me and I don't think you, I don't care what you think about my sermon. What I care about is bringing the truth of the gospel out that the Lord of heaven might bring it to bear on your souls, and that you might might burn with conviction from the Holy Spirit, and that you might be broken and repent of your sin and yield to the God of heaven. That's what I care about. That's what Paul cared about here, as he reasoned thoughtfully and sincerely. Number one, he reasoned from the law. Have you ever done that before? Well, according to ORS 11.379, you can't have an elephant in your house. So want to know Jesus? You know, Can you do that? 
He was reasoning from the Jewish law, right? Uh, he, he probably remembered what he wrote to the Romans, chapter 8, verse 3. That, hey, Jewish brothers, what the law could not do because it was weak through our flesh, we couldn't keep the commandments. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemns sin in the flesh. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. In other words, we could never do it. Jews, we could never do it. We kept messing up. We had to go into captivity. This doesn't seem like the people of God to me, does it? We couldn't do it. But God sent his son, Jesus, and Jesus did it. And if you believe in him, his doing it will be put on you so it looks like you did it. Is that awesome or what? He reasoned about the Jewish high priest in the law. And if you read Hebrews 9, you can get an idea of what he might have said. Hey guys, you know how our Jewish high priest had to go in once a year and he had to offer sacrifices for himself, but then he had to leave and then he had to bring another sacrifice and he had to kill it for his sins again and then he could go in and he constantly was going in and out and constantly offering sacrifices and he was a sinner. Well, guess what? There's another high priest. His name is Jesus, okay? And he went in and he didn't offer a bull or a goat for his sins. He offered himself for, his, for the sins of the world. And he didn't commit any sins. And he goes into the Holy of Holies and he stays there forever and he ever lives to make intercession for you. Jesus, our high priest, is better than any high priest out of the tribe of Levi. And you know what else? That temple that we've got that was made with human hands, it's perishing, it's crumbling. You constantly have to put mortar on things and restitch things and constantly fix it. There's a better temple in heaven. And ours is just a model of it. And it's so much bigger up in heaven. And you know what else? You know those sacrifices, the blood of bulls and goats and how they just kind of covered over our sin? Well, Jesus' blood was offered once and for all. And it doesn't just cover our sin it completely takes away our sin. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far he's removed our transgressions from us. Can you reason with somebody from the law? Jesus says, I didn't come to destroy the law or the prophets, but I actually came to fulfill the law and the prophets. And I tell you this, assuredly, I say to you, not one jot or tittle or period or space bar or punctuation mark is gonna pass away. It's all gonna be fulfilled and it's all gonna be fulfilled in me. Paul probably told them that Galatians chapter 3:23, the law is like a tutor. It's like an instructor, you know, and they got a ruler, right? And they're telling us, okay, hey, thou shalt not covet. Have you ever coveted? Yes, I did. Bad boy. You're a coveter, you know. Thou shalt not murder. Have you ever murdered? No, I've never murdered anybody. I'm good there. Well, okay, but have you ever hated anybody in your heart? Yes. You're a murderer. Have you ever committed adultery? I've never done that either. Have you ever lusted after a woman or a man in your heart? Uh-uh. Okay, yes, I have. Yeah? You're an adulterer. Should we go on? No, I, I got the point, okay? And that's just three out of, you know, 300 and whatever, 13 commandments, or 613 commandments, you know? Um, we are condemned under the law. But that tutor just shows us we need a savior. He preached thoughtfully from the prophets, that Jesus was, it was prophesied, you know, 
anywhere from hundreds to thousands of years before he would be born, that he would be born specifically in Bethlehem, that he would be from Nazareth, that he would come out of Egypt, that he would descend from Judah, Jesse, and David. He would have no bones broken, even though his execution would demand bones to be broken. He would be betrayed by a friend. He would be crucified on a cross. He would be betrayed for exactly 30 pieces of silver, and then that 30 pieces of silver would be returned, and then that 30 pieces of silver would be used to buy a potter's field. He would be born of a virgin. He would perform miracles, and he would be resurrected from the dead. Have you ever used any of that as you're sharing with people, reasoning with them, the prophecies concerning the Messiah, that it is absolutely possible to fuse the historical Jesus with the biblical Christ together? He was thoughtful. And verse 24 says, in that some were persuaded by the things that were spoken and some disbelieved. Some, and it literally speaks that they were insistent in their unbelief. They understood what Paul was saying. He hadn't missed the target. You know, he made his point, they just flat out wouldn't believe. And some believed and yet remained unconverted. And so verse 25 and 26, uh, you know, Paul, he's going to speak rightly here. And he's going to say, when they did not agree among themselves, they departed after Paul said one word, the Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah the prophet. You might just notice the inspiration of the scriptures by the Holy Spirit there. Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah the prophet to our fathers saying, go to this people and say, hearing you will hear and shall not understand, seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing, their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. Morris was an 82-year-old man who went to the doctor to get a physical A few days later, the doctor saw Morris walking down the street with a gorgeous young woman on his arm. A couple of days later, the doctor replied, uh, uh, spoke to Morris and said, you're really doing great, aren't you, Morris? Morris replied, I'm just doing what you said, doc. Get a hot mama and be cheerful. The doctor said, I didn't say that. I said, you've got a heart murmur and be careful. Over the many years, the thousands of years of the prophets and the law speaking to the Jews, their ears had become dull. They'd become hard of hearing. They would hear and not understand. They would see and not perceive. The words of the prophets and the preachers would go in one ear, stop at an unperceiving mind, and discontinue and be unconnected to a hard heart. And if we're not careful, this is exactly what can happen to us as Christians in 2011. In Hebrews chapter 5, the writer says, I want to talk to you guys about Melchizedek. And then he stops and says, I have much to say about Melchizedek, but you've become dull of hearing and can't understand it. Even to this day, if I were to say to you, let's talk about Melchizedek, you know, gears start grinding in heads and people just shut down. Lord, open up our ears. Take away our hard heart. I think the King James Version, it's ironic that the King James Version says, your heart's have waxed gross. At the same time, our ears wax gross, right? We just, we don't hear what the Lord's trying to say to us. I mean, we pray that the Holy Spirit will open up our ears and open up our eyes that we could see and hear and understand. Second Corinthians tells us that even to this day, when the Jews read the law of Moses, there's a veil over their face and they don't understand. Just like when Moses read the law, there was a veil over his face. Now I've witnessed to Jews I can tell you there's just a veil over their face. You try to tell them about Jesus and reason with them, and they, they just, they're blind. And it says in 2 Corinthians that that blindness is taken away 
when they turn to Jesus. Well, how do they turn to Jesus when they're blind? Holy Spirit. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. Remember being in Galilee and watching, uh, 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 sharing with this old couple from Holland. They were Jewish. And we're there in Galilee and we're talking about Jesus and what Jesus did there in Galilee. And I was 19 years old and I was able to witness to them from the scriptures and tell them about Jesus and the prophecies and the resurrection and ask them if they wanted to respond to the gospel. And they said, no, no, I don't want to. No, you know, and there was a wrestle there. It's like, just believe in your heart in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. No, just, uh, just love you. You're a great young man. You just keep being a good young man. And that next morning, we're walking into breakfast there at this, uh, at this hotel in Galilee. And he stops me in the parking lot. And he says, I, I must tell you, your words impacted me greatly last night. I couldn't sleep. And I just kept thinking about them. And I was just like, so you want to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? No, no. Like, Morris, come on. Your heart is dull, man. Your ears are dull. About the only thing that Paul could think to explain it was to say, man, Isaiah, Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah, that they would have hard hearts, hard ears, hard eyes. In Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11, it's broken up this way. Chapter 9, Israel's past, how they'd been given the covenants, how they'd been given, you know, just that personal relationship with God, that he was their people. And chapter 9 goes on to say, man, that there's a a hardness of heart, and they're going to stumble over the stumbling stone of Jesus. Chapter 10 of Romans tells us about Israel's present state of rejection. And he says, but I will provoke them to jealousy by those that are not a nation. And I will move the, uh, the Jews to anger by a foolish nation. That speaks of us presently right now as Christians. We're to provoke the Jews to jealousy by our deep, intimate, passionate, powerful relationship with the Messiah who we know, but they rejected. And Romans chapter 11 tells us the beautiful thing that we're going to lead Israel to the Messiah. We're going to provoke them to jealousy and we're going to get to point them to Christ. So read Romans 9, 10, and 11 on your time because Paul says there in in Acts chapter 28, verse 28, let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles and they will hear it. The Jews, you've had your chance. I've gone everywhere preaching the gospel and I've been rejected everywhere. I'm going to the Gentiles, they'll hear it. The Gentiles will be excited to know that the God that created the Jews and the heavens and the earth loves the Gentiles also and that they can be saved as well. But why is it that women and men don't understand and don't turn to God? Even if someone gives them clear, honest, faithful, heartfelt presentation of the gospel, why don't they stand up and say, glory, hallelujah, I want to get saved, you know? Shouldn't that happen like every time a good evidence is given? Shouldn't that have happened with Paul here in Rome? J.A. Alexander commented on this Isaiah passage. He said, there's three distinguishable agencies at work in the response of the human response to the gospel. It says there's the ministerial agency of the prophet. In other words, it's the work the preacher's doing, right? The Holy Spirit's working through the preacher. Then there's the judicial agency of God. God is a just judge and a good God and he knows what he's doing. And third, there's the suicidal agency of the listeners themselves. And so, what does that mean? John Stott explains it like this. Although our minds find it hard to reconcile these three perspectives, 
the preacher and what God and his justice is doing, and then the listener's hard heart to reject God. It's hard to reconcile these three things with each, with each other since it's difficult to ascribe the same situation to each three agencies. But all three are true and must be held fast with equal tenacity. It's true that there's predestination. It's true that there's election. It's true that there's a responding of people to God. It's true that you need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. And it says here in the book of Acts that even though these people heard the truth, God was working sovereignly to get the gospel to the Gentiles so that the gospel could whip around and lead the Jews back to Christ. Only God can work out oxymorons like that and backward paradoxes. So let me get this straight. We're your chosen people, but in your sovereignty, you're going to make us reject you. It's going to, you're going to cause us to reject you, and yet we're going, to, we're going to reject you on our own at the same time. And then you're going to go to the Gentiles and save these you know, barbarians, and they're going to love you so much that we're going to want you too, and everyone's going to get saved. It's the idea. And so Romans chapter 11 closes with, oh, the depths and wisdom, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who's known the mind of the Lord and who's become his counselor? Or who's first given to him that it should be repaid to him? For of him and to him and through him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. What can we do but just bow our knees and worship the God who has his redemptive purpose for mankind laid out from the beginning of the world to the end of the world? And in his redemption of man, he's going to glorify himself as his creation gives him praise and glory that he has complete and absolute right to. Let this be known, the salvation is going to the Gentiles. It's not going to end there, though. It's coming right back around. Verse 29, and when he'd said these words, the Jews departed and had a great dispute among themselves. Today, as you've heard, heard, have you heard the good news of Jesus Christ today? Thank you. As you've heard the good news of Jesus Christ, how will you go away from here? Disputing? stiff neck towards God, arguing with God. Perhaps you'll believe the biblical logic today, but you'll remain unconverted and still in your sins. Hebrews says that today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as in the rebellion. Today, there's a call for you to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the Messiah that the world's been waiting for. He's not only the hope of Israel, he's the hope for America and for Prineville, for you specifically. Humble yourself before the mighty hand of God. Confess your sins to him and repent of your sins today. Receive forgiveness of sins. Allow him to empower you with his Holy Spirit and give you the strength to live a life and walk a walk that's worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Live a life that brings glory to the one whom all glory goes to. Humble yourself. Even right now, pray, Lord, I sense my heart getting hard. However, you're sovereignly working, Lord. Take away my hard heart. They went away disputing. Verse 30, Paul dwelt two whole years in, the own, in his own rented house and received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. Basically, it's believed that Paul dwelt there for two years. In that time, he stood before Caesar Nero. Caesar Nero rejected Paul, but let Paul go. At that point, it's believed that's when Caesar Nero went crazy. He began persecution, hardcore against Christian. He started a fire in Rome that destroyed like half the city, and then he blamed it on the Christians, and he began killing Christians, uh, thrusting poles through them vertically up through the body, 
dipping them in wax and burning them in his garden as he rode around in a chariot naked, crying out, oh, you're the light of the world now, aren't you? Church history says it all started with that encounter with Paul. But after he was let go, he had about one year of freedom where he went to Spain and he went to Britain and then he went back into the Aegean area where he wrote 1 Timothy and Titus. And then in 67 AD, he was arrested again. And this time he wasn't under house arrest, but he was kept in the Mamertine prison, which was a cistern. It was a hole in the ground with an opening up top. Prisoners were let down via rope into this cistern. And history tells us that if, if you didn't die through execution, the stench and the cleanliness would kill you first. Food was let down in a bucket and Paul was kept there until he was let out to be executed outside the walls of Rome. It was there in the Mamertine that he wrote 2 Timothy. He wrote of God's faithfulness in his life. He wrote about running the race and fighting the fight, that fight of faith. What's interesting about the end of the book of Acts is it seems to just kind of end in a weird way. You know, it almost needs like a DVD feature that says like alternate endings or something like, okay, now what else happened? You know, how come none of that other history is there? A lot of scholars kind of just add the comment that, man, it's almost like it didn't end. It's almost like there should be an Acts chapter 29. And I think that's a good observation. And you know what? I believe that we're actually living in the continuation of the book of Acts. I believe we're living in the Acts of the Apostles. I believe that until that day that Jesus comes back, that we're going to be living out his mission to get the gospel from Jerusalem to the uttermost parts of the world. And if there was a chronicle of Acts chapter 29 today, would you be mentioned in it? Would you be mentioned in it? Lord, give us the power of your Holy Spirit that we could continue on the book of Acts. We're going to close today, and Stuart, you can come on up with the worship team. We're going to close with communion and a little more worship. Ken's going to come up after a song, and he's going to lead us into communion. But as we come to worship the Lord and prepare our hearts before communion, you can just set your things aside and just, you know, maybe just get yourself just in the posture of prayer and ready to worship Jesus. But just as we come today, The Holy Spirit has been in this place and he's been showing you sin in your life. He's been calling you to repentance. Some of you for the first time, you got to see who Jesus really is. And today he's saying, today's the day of salvation. Don't resist. Don't be hard hearted. Don't be blind and deaf. I'm calling you. And if you hear my voice today, don't walk away. Right now where you're at, just in the best way you know how. Just humble yourself before God. Confess your sin and repent of that sin. Receive that forgiveness. Let the Holy Spirit just change you. You can be born again, the scriptures say. Let him fill you with his presence and give you the power to live for him. As we close, just in the best way that you know how, humble yourself before the mighty hand of God. As we worship, let's cry out for the power of the Holy Spirit that we might be that continuation of the book of Acts. You've been listening to Pastor Rory Rogers, pastor of Calvary Chapel of Crook County, located in Prineville, Oregon. For more information on this ministry, or if you'd like to contribute, please feel free to write to us at P.O. Box 378, Prineville, Oregon 97754, or check us out further on our website at www.calvarycrookcounty.com. We thank you so much for listening, and we pray that this ministry has blessed you. 